As you are seated, uh, please get out your Bibles. If you don't have one with you, uh, grab a Bible from the pew rack in front of you. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll be reading verse 11 and then verses 14 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. For in the love for the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father and Sovereign Lord of all, who has sought us out, we give you great praise and we ask that in this time that you would give us insight into how we might live this way, into how we might live as your ambassadors, how we might live as new creations, all for the sake and the glory of him who knew no sin but became sin for us. Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, it is good to be preaching here again. Uh, As many of you know, I'm planting a church out of McLean Prez uh, in Ashburn in eastern Loudoun County, and we're in the forming, gathering stages of that. And so it's a privilege to be here talking a little bit about being an outward-facing church, something very much on my heart. Now, uh, you also may know that I'm, uh, I'm married, I have four children, and this, because those four children are under the age of eight, causes my wife and I to uh, be interrupted frequently, to have uh, little sleep most often, uh, and, but also not just the negative things. There's some wonderful things that happen as a result of these kids in our lives. Uh, our five-year-old just the other day uh, was pouring herself a glass of water, which is a big thing for our family. You know, one less thing to, to have to take care of for mom and dad. Uh, this was great. And she saw, as she poured this glass of water, uh, some lemons that were sliced on the counter. And she asked if she could put some in her water. Uh, they were sliced for something else. And we said, of course you can do that. So she put lemon in the water and just thought this was the best thing ever. And we didn't have the heart to tell her that people do this all the time at restaurants and things, but because she was so excited about this water with lemon. And then she did something that surprised us. She went over to the the drawer, the silverware drawer, and we thought for sure she was going to get one of those twisty curly straws that kids love, you know. 
But instead of getting a twisty curly straw, she got two twisty curly straws. And then we realized right away why. Because this was so wonderful to her, this water with lemon, that she thought it must be shared. Of course someone is going to share this with me. Of course I'm going to share this with others. It was so wonderful to her. She couldn't imagine keeping it for herself. Isn't that the case? That the things that we love the most, we just can't help but commend to others. We can't help but share with others. Uh, That's why social media, a part of why social media is is so big. Because we just can't help but sharing with the world what's, what's going on and what's important to us. Well, this is a mindset that that you might um, not be wondering too much, has a lot to do with missions. has a lot to do with what we're talking about this month. Now, I've run across these statistics uh, maybe three years ago, and I think I heard them first maybe five or six years ago. This statistic changed dramatically how I thought about ministry and how I thought about my life as a believer in general. This statistic stated that America, who has long been a significant mission force in the world, we've been sending missionaries out for for centuries now, ever since we were born as a country. America, who has been a significant mission force, has now become the number one mission field in the world. There are more missionaries coming to the United States from other countries than to any other country in the world. It has a new meaning when you see the American flag in here, doesn't it? Among all the other flags, the American flag's right up there. We are the number one mission field because there are peoples here that aren't being reached with the gospel and the church around the world sees that and they're sending their own people here to reach them. In fact, I've heard that there are so many missionaries coming to America, it's actually greater than the number of missionaries we are sending to all countries combined. Uh, Long-term missions. Uh, combined. Now, now, how would this, how would this happen? This may only confirm what maybe you thought was already going on for a while. Maybe you felt Christianity was in decline. Maybe you didn't realize it was that bad. Um, if if you tend to be a little more skeptical, if if you're not a Christian and you're skeptical of these things, maybe you thought that that missions was perhaps one of the most arrogant things that Christians could do, that we would send our people to all places around the world to indoctrinate them with our Western imperialist values. Um, and maybe you might be surprised to learn that it, it is, uh, it, Christianity has spread to all kinds of cultures around the world. All kinds, not just Western countries sending their missionaries here. Well, a significant cause of this was pointed out by John Stott, Oh, uh, 50 years ago or so. And John Stott points out that we have, as the Western Church, we have philosophically divorced worship and witness. We have divorced worship and witness as though they were two quite separate functions of the church, he says. Rightly understood, they belong together. Worship and witness He says they belong together. Now, we understand that worship should be not just on Sundays. You've probably heard that before. It should not just be Sundays. It should permeate every aspect of our life. Everything that we do, we should do to the glory of the Lord. Worship should be a way of life for us. And yet still, along the way, we've relegated witness to, I don't know, an an occasional thing. Uh, In the sense that, well, 
we all should keep our bodies in shape, but only some people will go to the Olympics. And we kind of think every now and then I might, you know, have an opportunity to share the gospel, but it's not something that permeates our lives. Now, when we separate worship and witness, when we divorce those things, we still have a presence in the culture, in the world in which we live. Now, and so I would say that we do have a witness still. And let me define witness this way. I'm going to define it broadly for our sakes this morning. Witness is, uh, is broadly how we as churches and individuals relate to the culture around us. It's fairly broad definition. Just all the ways in which we as churches and individuals relate to the, to the world, to the people, to the culture around us. So that's, that's our witness. And throughout scripture you see that uh, supported from different angles. Uh, and when we separate our worship and witness, a few things can happen. Uh, one, we can uh, withdraw from the culture and condemn it. We can be condemning the culture, criticizing it and everything that's wrong with it. And we can only criticize and condemn from a position of withdrawal. Secondly, we can be combating the culture. Now, I want to be careful what I, how I say this because there are many things that we want to combat. We want to combat injustice. We want to fight against those things. But there's a difference between fighting against those things and working for good and hating the people who aren't like us. Does that difference make sense? The difference between working for good and fighting for a better culture and, and being engaged and, and just hating the people who disagree with us. So they're combating the culture, hating them, uh, condemning the culture, criticizing them from a place of withdrawal. And then finally, if you're not doing one of those two, you will inevitably be changed by the culture. You will copy the culture. You will mimic it. You will uh, start to adapt even the gospel to be more palatable for consumption by those around you. Uh, the culture might say, it, it's all about me. Everything is about me. I want everything to be customized for me. And so you might say, well, Jesus is all about you. Uh, and, and make the gospel only that. Well, the gospel includes that, but the gospel is not only that. He's not all about us in just that sense in a much richer sense. So in copying, we change, are changed, and we change the message we have. But there's a fourth way. A fourth way that when we reunite worship and witness, the Apostle Paul tells us we can live this way in the world. And this is how we're designed. This is how, uh, this is really how we thrive as, as people, honestly, in this world. And that way is this, as ambassadors. The Apostle Paul mentions this in his passage today. Now, ambassadors are appointed by a nation's leader. They are sent to another people group, another country, and they're sent with a message. Now, I know that's a gross oversimplification of what an ambassador does, but, but you know, here, for our sakes today, an ambassador sent to a different group, sent with a message. And that message typically is one of, uh, with the intent of bringing that other people group in a good relationship with the ambassador's nation, with the ambassador's leader. It is one of seeking reconciliation, restoring that country to favor. Now, uh, we, uh, you know, are Christ ambassadors in that way. We are Christ's ambassadors sent into the world. Now, the Apostle Paul, the way he presents this, 
does not assume that Christians would be the minority in a culture. It works in any, any situation in life, any place in history around the world. Wherever there are Christians and non-Christians, the Christians are called to be ambassadors to the non-Christians. That's how it works. Um, just think of that. Think of an ambassador. And think of an ambassador that was given a message, moved to that country, got really comfortable living there, started to really enjoy living there, for whatever reason, just didn't deliver the message. You can't do that. It's unthinkable. And yet, that is where we as a church in America find ourselves. And, and I'm just as guilty of that as, as any of us in this room. We, we, we pull back, we hesitate, we, for whatever reason, fail to deliver this message. So I think the Apostle Paul can give us a better understanding of our role as ambassadors. And in doing so, I believe he'll give us a better hope, a better hope uh, for how God can use us and greater confidence in doing so. So let's look at this. We're going to look at uh, our appointment as ambassadors and our ability as ambassadors. Our appointment as ambassadors and our ability. Uh, As I mentioned before, we, every Christian is appointed an ambassador for Christ. We all are. This is something that is a, a theme woven throughout Scripture. We see that, that those God saves, he sends. And those God calls to himself, he commissions to the world. We see this, this, this thread all throughout Scripture. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. God makes Adam and Eve... And the first thing, I think, the first thing he says, he says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over all the the living things in the world. In Genesis 3, that doesn't change, except that now, after sin has entered the world, we'll have to carry this out with with pain, with difficulty, with sweat, with tears, uh, with thorns, with obstacles. But something happens in Genesis 12. When God speaks to a man who seemingly comes out of the blue named Abram. He speaks to Abram and says, Abram, I'm going to make you into, into a great nation. And then in Genesis 15, he, he adds on to that, this nation is going to be so great, your offspring are going to be so numerous that no one's going to be able to count them. No one's going to be able to count them. God, by his grace, is fulfilling this this command, this mandate to fill the earth, he's fulfilling it on be- through Abram by his own promise. He says, Abram, I promise you this will be done. And Abram, you get to be along for the ride. You get to see it start. And yes, Abram struggled with that because at first he thought this is never going to work. And yet he saw God do amazing things even through him, through his old body and Sarah's old body. Yes, they had a son who then would go on to have children of his own. I mean, he, uh, he got to see God do amazing things by his strength and his promise. So it continues on. We see in, in Galatians chapter 3 that those who are Abraham's children, the, now they're the ones who have faith in Jesus Christ, who live by faith. And so when Jesus says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, he's, that great commission is the continuation of God's covenant 
with Abraham. We are to fill the earth with his disciples. We are to, to multiply, to subdue the earth in that sense. And we, once again, see this promise being answered and fulfilled, seeing the call, the commission, fulfilled in Revelation 7. In Revelation 7, what do we see but a great multitude that no one could number? Does that, that sound familiar? A great multitude? From Abraham even? A great multitude no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they're crying out, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So even the great commission to go and make disciples, we see one day it is going to be complete. And we get to be a part of it. Think of how you came to know Christ. Did did an angel visit you? Did, uh, Did a burning bush speak to you? We, as God's people, are his agents, are his ambassadors, are the way that he is delighted to spread his good news. And that just blows me away. That blows me away because of something that Paul talks about here. That blows me away because he, he says that, that we were reconciled to God. He reminds me that at one point I was also a stranger and an alien. I also was God's enemy. I also was an orphan without a home. And God reconciled his enemy to himself. He forgave my sins. He brought me into his family. And so I think you would use me. I'm the, I'm the, you know, I'm the one who's received your grace. I'm not qualified to go out and share it, but he says that's exactly how I've designed it. So it is incredibly a human thing to go and share this message of reconciliation of good news. And in a, in a serious way, when you compare being ambassadors with a message of reconciliation to Genesis chapter 1, you see a similar theme. Because in Genesis chapter 1, you see Adam and Eve charged with tending the garden, charged with having dominion over the living things, with uh, subduing the earth. This sense of, as God is one who speaks order into chaos, being God's agents of bringing the world and keeping the world into right relationship with him. And so here we are now as with the privilege of being an ambassador for Christ to be able to bring the world into right relationship with him. It is a profound and amazing mystery that he would let us do this. Now, this is our appointment. Um, and so now, how do we do this? How, how in the world are we going to do this? What is our ability to do this? You know, many Christians don't like talking about Jesus We don't like talking about Jesus, and we're uncomfortable with it, mostly because we don't feel qualified. And I'll be the first to admit that I am in that boat too. I, ever since I felt a call to ministry, have been in panic mode in the back of my mind. Ever since, I'm thinking, really? And my call to ministry was more of, these people need God's word. A lot more than it was, I'm going to be a good pastor. No, no, no. (laughs) Uh, I've always felt inadequate for the task. Um, and yet God has, has just caused me to, to say, how could these people not know, not hear God's word? Um, I've never felt fully qualified for this job. And many Christians don't like talking about Jesus because we don't feel qualified. And the reality is we, we're not qualified. None of us are. None of us can stand as a shining moral example. None of us can. 
And that is exactly why Jesus is a Savior so worth sharing. We have, though, turned the Great Commission into a great challenge. Turned the Great Commission into a great challenge, something that only the best dare attempt. Something that those who are gifted, who are really good, will do. Something that might be extra credit. You know, we might define Christianity as, well, I go to church, I do Bible study, and I volunteer, and I make sure that, uh, you know, my, my kids hear about the Bible. Uh, but witnessing your faith, that's, I don't know, that's it's really scary, it's intimidating, that's kind of extra credit. That's like an optional thing. But it's supposed to be woven somehow into every aspect of our life. Again, this reticence to share the gospel is very common. Moses faced this, did he not? Moses, when he was called by a burning bush, mind you, uh, by God, this burning bush would not be consumed, God spoke to him and said, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh and you're going to set my people free. And Moses says, very politely, thank you, but I'm sure, you know, maybe another time, I'm not quite right. He, and then God says, no, I'm going to send you. And Moses uh, is very polite about it, but eventually he just has to say, God, please send someone else. I, am, I, am, I slur my words, I stutter, I'm not the guy, Pharaoh is a really intimidating uh, leader, I don't want to go there. And God uh, sends uh, Aaron with Moses. God accommodates his perceived inability with everything he needs to do the task. We do perceive that we're inadequate, The problem is, though, when we edit God's commands because of our strengths. We did a a strength inventory in the the McLean staff recently. We all took these surveys to see kind of how we're wired and what we're really good at. And all the pastors were really competitive, I found out. Um, Some more competitive than others. Uh, And took pride in that. I don't know. Um, But... uh, to my knowledge, I don't know if Tom Pilch is here, but to my knowledge, no one's job description was altered because of this strengths finder. I mean, no one said, well, you're good at this, but not this, so you don't have to do that anymore. No, it's, we still have job responsibilities. We still have things we have to do. We, we don't get to edit God's commands on our lives based on what we feel we're good at. However, God does not leave us hanging. This might make you squirm, but God is not leaving us hanging. He is sending us what we need for the task. Um, And this is what Paul says. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. That's a little bit of what this means. Let me explain. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. He said, we once looked at Christ for what he could do by his human strength. And his disciples, if you remember, were not impressed. I mean, yes, he could do miracles and heal people and all that stuff, but he was making all the wrong choices if he was going to be king, right? He was spending time with children. He was spending time with tax collectors and prostitutes. And whenever there was a big crowd on a big weekend, people started to rally around him, he would run away and hide on a mountainside by himself to be alone so he could pray. They thought, who is this guy? He doesn't have what it takes to be king. He needs to be coached. We need to help him. So they came around to try to help him. But then they realized what happened. 
after their hopes were completely dashed when he died on the cross, on the third day, he rose again from the grave, and they saw who Christ really was. And Christ's resurrection power is at work in us. We are no longer the old creation. The sense of that is we no longer have to live by our own strength. We are new creations with Christ working, living in us. We're not left alone. When, Christ, when Jesus said, go therefore make disciples of all nations, he sandwiched that by saying, all authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth. All authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. And I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are not left alone. Like Moses was given Aaron, we are given the ultimate Aaron, the spirit of Jesus himself who lives in us. Now, when we think of, of our ability, when we think of our, uh, the, the call that we have, our appointment, um, I also should, should add just a, a minor micro point towards the end. And that is just our attitude. How we go about this. Uh, the way we do it. Because God doesn't, doesn't just send us with a message uh, of words to speak. But he sends us in a way to give our whole lives, to share our lives. We see the Apostle Paul do this with the church in, uh, with the Thessalonian church, right? He does it there. And we see this model of we share not only the gospel, but our lives as well. In Romans 12, this is a bit of what Paul is talking about when he says, when he talks about worship and witness being tied together, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of the great mercy in view of God's mercy towards you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And as we share our lives with others, in a way we're worshiping God, offering our bodies. Um, not for our own benefit. There are some religions that say that. There are some religions that say, yeah, sacrifice yourself uh, Deprive yourself for your own benefit. People say deprive yourself, sacrifice your life for the destruction of others. But Christianity says, no, sacrifice yourself out of love for others. And this is what Jesus did for us. This is what moved the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was willing to, uh, to be cut off from God for the sake of his kinsmen, the Jews. The Jews who, after Paul came to, to be a Christian, the Jews who, who hated him, who persecuted him, who tried to kill him. Yet in Romans 9, he says, I would be willing, I would be cut off from God eternally that they might know Christ. Wow. Apostle Paul was willing to give his whole self that they might be saved. And yet, Paul was willing to do that, and yet Jesus was cut off for the sake of his kinsmen. He was cut off for the sake of the Jews, cut off for the sake of us who, who, who resist obeying his commands. But he, he was cut off, and as he hung on the cross in this way, that uh, as we sing, the Father turned his face away, because as our sins were placed on Christ shoulders that placed upon him, God could not bear to look at him because our sin is ugly. And he turned away and caused Jesus to cry out, My God, why have you forsaken me? 
And so we can know that our sins, the sins of those who believe in him, have been placed on Christ and are paid for by his death. But he had to pay a price, his own life, and he was cut off for our sake. So as Jesus came, he did not just bear a message, he was the message, he was the word made flesh. And as he came, he came to share his life, not to be honored, but to honor, not to be served, but to serve. Not just to be loved, but to love. He didn't come combating the world with hating the world. He didn't come with swords in his hands. He came with nails in his hands. Jesus didn't withdraw from the sin in the world. Withdraw from the world condemning it and criticizing it. But he himself entered the world and was condemned that we might be saved. And Jesus was never himself changed by the world. He didn't copy the world But he did love it. And as his resurrection power is at work within us, as he lives in us, we can live as new creations designed for a noble commission empowered by an ever near Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that that you would help us to to live this way. We ask that you would give each of us a a taste, uh, a reminder of what it is to feel and to see you at work through us. To see you do things that we could never do, and yet using us. To see you orchestrating other people's lives that, uh, in ways where they are receptive to hear the gospel and, and just put us there at the right time and let us watch you at work in their lives. Give us that privilege. We do pray, Lord, that you would send laborers into the harvest field And that we would fully enjoy the privilege of getting to enjoy that harvest. We ask all this for the sake and the glory of your son Jesus, who is worthy of all praise. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen.